Today's Sunday sermon has been made possible by the members of Southside Christian Fellowship Church and listeners like you. Thank you so much for your continued prayerful and financial support of this ministry. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and how to get involved, or simply want to give a gift, please just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net today. You know, as I hear uh, the Lord take us through blessing and healing and thanksgiving and just all the different things, uh, it just flows right into, you know, what I'm going to talk to you about today. All of these things happen if we'll just get our eyes fixed on Jesus. If we get our eyes fixed on Jesus, I've been laying out the vision of the church as we go forward, uh, and it's becoming passionate pursuers of God. And today I want to bring all that full circle I want to talk to you about the main theme of becoming passionate pursuers of God. I want to talk to you about looking only at Jesus. If we look only at Jesus, the rest of life becomes simple. I'm learning. I, I, I uh, have been very honest and open and transparent. I do that because I feel like if you guys know that the pastor struggles with different things but continues to trust the Lord, then I pray that when you go through struggles, you'll do the same thing. Amen? I think we, we, we mess up when we start focusing just on the pastor or our leaders and we look to them instead of looking to the Lord. So I think it's very important that we're honest with each other. And I've struggled in the role of pastor uh, for about a year and a half. And I say a year and a half now because I'm coming up on the end of the second year. And I've been praying hard. Lord, I know you've called me to this position, but I just, I, I'm, I'm struggling. And, and it's not any one thing. It's just understanding the job. It's not like people are complaining or it's, it's, it's nothing like that. It's just understanding the job, understanding what I'm supposed to do. And I've tried. I mean, I've been very... Um, very faithful to do what I feel like the Lord's asking me to do, but it's been a, it's been a, a learning process. You guys go through that? It's been a lot of trial and error and, and some successes and, uh, but I can say that the only way that I have gotten to this point, and I, I'm still just getting started, is to continue to look at Jesus. That when we think about Peter and we read that story that he did get to walk on the water, he was looking at Jesus. And when he got his eyes off of Jesus is when he started to sing. The cool thing is Jesus saved him, and again, we're looking at Jesus. So it's the same thing when we're becoming passionate pursuers of God. You know, there's so many things that are in the Bible that we can talk about. There's so many great stories, so many lessons to be learned. But the reality is it's simplified into just that one statement. If we'll just look at Jesus, if we look at Jesus, then we will become those passionate pursuers of God. The main theme of becoming a passionate pursuer of God comes out of Matthew 22, the 37th and 38th verse. It says, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And I realize there's another commandment in there. But this is what we want to focus on here. We want to focus on looking at Jesus. Because when we do that, we begin to look like Jesus. And when we look like Jesus, then that second commandment he talks about is much easier. It's much easier to love our neighbor as ourself if we will stay focused on Jesus. The more time we spend with him, the more we begin to sound like him. The more we begin to smell like him. The more we begin to uh, um, look like him. And that's what the world needs. Looking only at Jesus. Charles Stanley said, Hunger for the Lord is an acquired taste. The more we pursue him, the greater our craving will be. Amen. There are four areas that the Lord put on my heart for us to focus on. And as I was preparing this message, I thought, Lord, you know, there are other people that will listen to this message, I pray, and not necessarily go to Southside Christian Fellowship. 
And so, Lord, how do I how do I apply this? Because I felt like you put this on my heart for our church specific. And I got to looking at the four areas and realized that if anybody will apply these four areas to their life, even if God does other things, even if God has other areas for them, then there's no doubt they will be on the road to becoming a passionate pursuer of God. And that is the ultimate desire. That's ultimately what we want to do. So the four areas, again, for us that we're going to focus on are prayer, missions, inner healing, and discipleship. And in the area of prayer, it comes out of Isaiah 56, verse 7, the second half of that, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. It also says in Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And then Jesus quoted Isaiah in the book of Matthew, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And so we want to dedicate ourselves to prayer. Passionate pursuers of God pray. They devote themselves to prayer. I like what James Hudson Taylor said. He said, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. I don't think it's any coincidence that the Lord put this as the first area of focus on my heart and should be on your heart. It all starts with prayer. If we will simply start with prayer in everything that we do, we'll grow closer to the Lord and it'll make the next three areas easier. It will. It'll make them easier because we'll understand better what the heart of the Father is. That prayer time is how we build that relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's what gives us that desire that He has to go out into the mission field to try to reach this world for His namesake. So missions is the second area of focus. And our main scripture there is Acts 1.8. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I know many of you are thinking about Matthew 28, 19, and 20, but hold up. We'll get to that one in a minute. That one kind of serves two roles there. And it explains why we have the nesting dolls that we've talked about and why it's not step one, step two, step three, but they all work together. So we're not praying, we're done with prayer, now we go to the mission field. No, we're praying while we're on the mission field. We're praying while we're asking the Lord where to go, what to say, who to talk to. Right? It, it's, it's combined, it's together. Matthew 25, the 37th verse says, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You see, we're, we're called to meet the spiritual needs of this world, but we're called to meet the physical needs. They work in conjunction. You know, as we meet the physical needs of people, their hearts begin to open up. And then we're, we're allowed in to minister to the spirit man. See, sometimes we got to feed somebody, right? What's the saying? Give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man how to fish, he'll eat for life. Sometimes we need to give that fish so that they can eat for the day while we're teaching them how to fish for life. And so as we meet the physical needs, our ultimate goal is to speak to the spirit man, but we get in by feeding them for a day. I love this quote by Robert Morris. He says, you don't have to be in church to be saved. After all, you're probably not going to die in a funeral home. It's convenient if you do, but it probably won't happen. 
intended, unintended, doesn't matter what I understood growing up through different pastors and preachers was it was my job to witness but to bring them to church so they could get saved. Now, as I grew up, my dad explained it to me better, and I, I finally understood that I didn't have to wait to bring somebody to church to get them saved. But I could absolutely minister to them and lead them into that prayer of salvation right there on the spot. You see, as we're being the hands and the feet of Jesus, each one of us is going to our community, to our marketplace, to our neighborhoods. And by the time you can bring them into the church, you've missed so many hours of time with them that you could have been witnessing and ministering. Don't wait to bring them to the church. You minister to them. Well, I don't know if I'm confident enough to minister to them. Get confident. Get confident. Practice. Step out in faith. They might reject me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. I mean, and even if they do stone you like they did Philip, it's trusting in the Lord. Well, I don't know all the scriptures. I don't know the plan of salvation like I've heard it. It doesn't matter. The point is, do you know Jesus? How did you get saved? Why do you follow the king? That's all you got to tell them. Bring your testimony. That's your witnessing tool. That's your best witnessing tool. And if you don't know why you got saved, come talk to me. Come talk to me. You might need another encounter with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Missions is important. And we are the missionaries of this world to go out to each of our areas. It's not just up to me as a pastor to do all the witnessing. The third area we talked about was inner healing. You're going to find that as you minister to people, even if they accept Jesus, or let me say it this way, even when they accept Jesus, God's got to heal them. So you're going to run into people that are broken, that are hurt, that are dying. What do you do? We bring them to the Holy Spirit. We allow the Holy Spirit to search their hearts and bring healing. Now, individually, we minister salvation. Salvation is, is the most important step to inner healing. Then you walk, then you ask your brothers and sisters that are more experienced with people that are struggling with deep traumas and wounds to help you walk them through inner healing. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you uh, ineffectual. It doesn't make you bad just because you don't know how to walk somebody through inner healing. In fact, it makes you smarter to realize when you have a weakness and you get a brother or sister that is more experienced in that area to walk with you. If you pray for people and they don't get healed and you start to lose confidence, get somebody that, that lost that confidence to walk with you, to pray with you, to minister healing. And as you begin to see them work, it will build your faith. I've told you many times in the last couple of months again, as I went out with Dad and Joni, and they began to minister to the waiters and the waitresses, and I shied away at first. As I saw them do it over and over and over again, my confidence began to build. And then I stepped out one day, and man, it was so amazing. And then I kept going, and I've not looked back since. It's okay not to know it all. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. What we need to do, though, is know who we can go to for help. And inner healing is a huge, huge area. The reason the world is not in the church is because they're hurt with God, with the church, with others, you name it. There's healing that is needed. We minister love, and that starts the path to inner healing. We introduce them to the Holy Spirit, 
He does the rest. Isaiah 61 lays out the case for our spiritual hospital, for ministering to those that are hurting inside. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. That's what happens when we minister inner healing is that we are introducing them to the master planter, to the master grower, so that he may be glorified. Shelley Hendricks said, we do not behave out of our identity. We behave out of our understanding of our identity in Christ. As we introduce this world to Jesus, he begins to reveal their identity to each person that we minister to. Our world is confused. Dad and I were talking the other day. It's so frustrating to see what the world believes in just taking identity into account right now. Here's the crazier part. When you talk with people that are struggling in the area of identity, the advice they're getting is very worldly, but it's done out of love. It's a perverted love, but it's not done to be evil. But what it's doing is it is absolutely creating scars and wounds that only the Holy Spirit can heal. Understanding our identity in Christ. See, we need to go through inner healing. It doesn't matter how long we've been saved. It doesn't matter how long we've been following the Lord. You may need to go through inner healing. That's okay. That's how God heals those scars and those wounds. It's how we we uh, solidify who we are and who God's called us to be. The reason I didn't quit as pastor, even when it was getting tough and rough, is because I know what God God called me to do. I knew my identity in Him. I didn't understand every facet of the job, but He's training me. But by understanding that God called me to this and understanding that that is part of my identity in Christ, then when the times do get tough and rough, I don't cut bait and leave. The reason I've been ministering to you to pray to the Lord about where he's planting you. If you're planted to serve at this church, you need to make sure that you solidify that in your heart. Because there may come a day where you get offended with somebody or frustrated with somebody or irritated with what's going on. But if you know God's planted you here, you can navigate that much easier. Those that are not planted, that are just going to and fro, that are just looking for the next church that makes them feel good, I don't want to talk down on them. I want to encourage them to find that place where God is planting them. The work for the Lord is not always easy. Working can be difficult. It can be hard. But it's important. And it's very rewarding. Working for the Lord is no different. You may minister the gospel to thousands of people and only lead one to the Lord. Maybe you don't lead anybody to the Lord. It's okay. It's God's job. Right? It's God's job to do the saving. It's our job to simply plant and water. And so by knowing that, knowing who you are, then when you start to hear the voices in your head that you're not being successful. I told you the story about Mother Teresa last week. I think it bears repeating. There was a senator that came and saw what she was doing and saw how difficult the work was and how little resources she had at her disposal and asked her, basically, don't you get discouraged at the lack of success that you're having? And she informed him that she didn't work for success. She worked out of faithfulness. 
faithfulness to the Lord. That was her definition of success. That should be our definition of success. Are we being faithful to the Lord? It's not a matter how many we've led to the Lord. It's not a matter of how many we've seen healed when we pray for them. It's not a matter of how many people get filled with the Holy Spirit when we lay hands on them. It's a matter of is the kingdom of God growing? Are the people of the kingdom of God growing? And we're to do our part however God wants us to do that part. And the only way you're going to know your part is if you're constantly in communication with the Lord. This morning, I felt like the worship that I had set up was extremely long. And when I was praying about it and putting it together earlier this week, I enjoyed every one of those songs, and I just felt like the Lord said, no, it's good. And so we got into worship, and we started listening, and, and I mean, to me, the Lord just blew the roof off this place this morning. And it was amazing. Amazing. Absolutely. Amen. And then I knew there were a couple more songs left, and I was getting a little antsy. I started thinking about different people and what they might think or whether where they were at this morning. The Lord really kind of just checked me. And he reminded me exactly what I tell you guys. Who should be who should we be worried about? It's the Lord, right? When we're worshiping, we should be worshiping the Lord. And so the Lord said, I'm happy with this lineup. I want to hear every one of those songs. So there were two songs to go and I had four people come to my ear and say, Man, the Lord's moving. I got a word. I got a word. And sometimes I can get antsy and I can start to move quicker than God wants me to. And it's out of good intentions, but it wouldn't have been the right timing. And so I informed each person what I felt like the Lord had told me this morning. And when I got up to uh, move us to the next thing, you saw what God did. I hadn't talked to any of those people about testifying or sharing this morning. None of them. And your dad starts out talking about blessing, and Vicky had already come up wanted to give a word about blessing, so she comes up, and I'd forgotten about Sonia, and she got a word about blessing this morning. Blessing, blessing, blessing. I normally don't put three or four upbeat, fast songs. I put one in there, and then we move to some more slower worship-type stuff. The Lord had me put three or four in there, and I felt like the Lord was saying, man, it's time to get free. It's time to enjoy uh, worshiping Him. It's time to just celebrate the name of Jesus. Amen? That's all good orchestrated by the Lord. But i got to have that relationship with Him to know He's talking to me because i got to be honest with you guys. I respect each one of you. All the people that came up and said they need to give a word, I respect that they're hearing the Lord. But I have to trust that what I'm hearing, right? I have to have that relationship to know that what I'm hearing is the Lord and trust Him to work it all out. And He did that this morning. I think it was very apparent, very clear that He did that. And He'll do that each and every time. That's part of understanding your identity. That's a part of understanding who you are as a Christian. That's a part of understanding the relationship that you have with your Savior. you got to hear His voice to know His voice. Even the cars are saying amen this morning. Woo, I like it. <laughs> Joyce Meyer said, The more we focus on who we are in Christ, the less it matters who we were in the past. Or even what happened to us. If you've ever had God heal you from a past trauma, this speaks volumes to you right now. There are things that the world looks at and says you'll never recover from that. And if we never look to Jesus, they're absolutely right. But if we'll look only at Jesus, it's amazing what He can do. It's amazing the life that He can restore. It's amazing the pain that He can take away. 
It's amazing what He can do when we surrender wholly and completely to Him. That's part of that inner healing that He does in us. Amen. <laughs> and discipleship. That's our fourth area. And each of these areas, it requires us to look only at Jesus. Right? What does discipleship look like to Jesus? We started the prayer. What does prayer look like to Jesus? What does missions look like to Jesus? What does inner healing look like to Jesus? And our fourth area, discipleship. What does discipleship look like to Jesus? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I put this specifically in discipleship and not necessarily in missions. I know it says, therefore, go. And that is part of the call. But we can't miss that next part where it says, make disciples. We're not called just to minister salvation to this world. We're called to make disciples. And how many of you know making disciples is not always easy? you got to walk with people through their good and their bad. you got to look at them through the eyes of Jesus. And you got to stay focused on Jesus. Otherwise, our flesh gets involved and we mess it up. Making disciples is not easy. Think about your discipleship program with Jesus. Has it always been easy on Jesus to disciple you? It has not for me. I know I've done some things. He tells me the right advice. He tells me exactly what to do. And sometimes I'm hard-headed, don't listen to him. And I know he's got to be up there going, man, I am trying to tell you the best way possible. You just keep wanting to beat your head against a rock. And he says, you'll learn. You'll learn. Discipling. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. I wanted to say this one again because I told you last week that to me it's not just Christianity without Christ. I don't know how you can have Christianity without Christ. So if you take Christ out of it, it's just eanity, which is too close to insanity. So Christianity without Christ to me is insanity. Life without Christ is insanity. You think you're going through a difficult process over the last few years? You think you've had some struggles? At least you had Jesus with you. At least you had Jesus with you. Amen. Now I get that our world makes choices just like we make choices. But our God is compassionate. And He wants us to be compassionate. He doesn't want us to be judgmental. He wants us to love like He loved. Dallas Ward said, Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if He were you. Again, looking only at Jesus. I think about these artists who paint and draw. and You know, a lot of times people will draw things that they see. You know, when we're going through life, we're trying to paint the picture of Jesus, and the only way to do that is to continually look at Him, look at Him, look at Him over and over and over again till we get every detail right. Our life should be that picture. See, we should look just like Jesus. We should sound just like Jesus. People should see Jesus through us everywhere we go. 
Discipleship is that process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. The only way that we become passionate pursuers of God, though, is if we make that choice to look at Jesus and only look at him. You see, Jesus has to be at the center. As I open up each one of these nesting dolls, the last one was Jesus. And Jesus was at the center of every one of these nesting dolls. Prayer is in vain if Jesus is not at the center of it. Missions is in vain if Jesus is not at the center of it. Inner healing is in vain if Jesus is not at the center of it. And discipleship is in vain if Jesus is not at the center of it. So when I say look only at Jesus, I apologize, Jesus, I dropped you. I'll pick him up later. I'm so sorry. He's okay, though. He's not hurt. Jesus has to be at the center. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me read that last part again. No one. No one comes to the Father except through me. We got to look only at Jesus. It's the only way we get to the Father. It's if we get to him through Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And believe it or not, I'm ready. I'm about ready to close here. <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, Tammy, would you cue up that Echoes song? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses, think about what was just said right there. Since we also, that's how much God loves us. I mean, there's a cloud of witnesses for each of us. We have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, I really like that. Looking only at Jesus, the originator. You know, whatever circle you run into, they always have the OG, right? The original. There's only one. That's Jesus. He is the original. That's right. Amen. Looking only at Jesus. Psalms 127 tells us that if God's not in it, we labor in vain. That's a paraphrase. But we have to look at Jesus in everything we do to be successful. So more specifically for Southside Christian Fellowship, as we begin to close out this year and enter into next year, this is going to become more and more prevalent in everything that we say and do around here. It should become who we are. It should become what people hear when they come around us, no matter if it's in this building or in our community. What are we doing? We're trying to become passionate pursuers of God, looking only at Jesus in the area of prayer, looking only at Jesus in the area of missions, looking only at Jesus in the area of inner healing, and looking only at Jesus in the area of discipleship. So my charge to you is to join me, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus as we become passionate pursuers of God. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet. Amen. One of the things I hope you know is that 
This sign back here is true. In this place you are loved, you are accepted, and you are received. Jesus accepts us as who we are. He didn't kick one of the disciples out of the group every time they did something contrary to what he wanted. He walked with them. He forgave them. He taught them. He kept working with them. That's what God's called all of us to do in his kingdom. And that's what we're going to do here at this church. And we meet the world when we're not going to be shocked when they don't act like us because that's what the Bible tells us, right? We're not going to be shocked when they're confused or disoriented or blinded to the truth because guess what? That's what we're trying to show them is the truth. And who is the truth? Jesus. So as we look only at Jesus... And as we continue our relationship and we, we continue to passionately pursue him. Notice it's not just pursuing him. We need to passionately pursue him. Then you can guarantee yourself you're going to begin to sound like him and look like him. And you will naturally reach out to your neighbor just like yourself. Because that's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus did do. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.